And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Oh, we're back in our Salvation Series. Can hardly wait. Joined with Dr. Peter Kapsner. Hello, Peter. Hey, Bill. This is going to be a wonderful hour. I think we're onto something. Yeah, I think so, too. They seem like there's some pretty good feedback from the first week in this. And I think uh, salvation seems to be one of those words that's, I mean, it's critical, obviously, to our faith, right? And, and it's pretty top of the mind for a lot of people. And people are wanting more meat. And sometimes we cover salvation for 10 minutes, and I think we leave people wanting more. And so we're going to do six weeks. We're one down, five more to go. Today we're going to be... Uh, I think it's going to be a spectacular hour. Yeah, you've got some intriguing guests lined up to continue to comment on this, and I think today's going to be no different. Uh, you know, I don't know a lot about Dr. Randy Newman, but uh, but certainly he's spoken quite a bit on this topic. Well, you're going to find out a lot uh, today, right? just real soon. <laughs> he's a senior teaching fellow for apologetics and evangelism at the C.S. Lewis Institute, and he has taught at several evangelical institutions, including Reform Theological Seminary and Patrick Henry College. Now, Peter, before we bring on Randy... Maybe we can just do a very short um, recap of what we did last week. Yeah, it was an interesting week last week, actually, and I think we had some surprisingly good feedback from some of this because these are a lot of the questions that you and I have received over these years just from being on air. Listeners ask really similar questions that are really understandable about this word salvation. What does it mean? And, and especially when our view of salvation tends to be the view that salvation really only relates to what happens to us after we die, meaning there's kind of this synonym between salvation and either and heaven that those two things are one and the same where that there that is true and that is a big part obviously of the good news is that where once we were lost then we've been found once we walked in darkness now we walk in light and and we have this beautiful hope of our eternal home we know where our destiny is going to be there remains a lot of unanswered questions i think for a lot of people like why do i still struggle with sin can i lose my salvation uh, any number of kinds of questions along those lines so it was fun to chat last week a little bit just from the biblical standpoint that even phrases like eternal life and uh, phrases like salvation do have a present tense reality to them there's the it's something that happens even in this life we don't just say a prayer or maybe get baptized and be assured of our eternal destiny, and then we're left to sort of muddle through life, there really is this invitation to an ongoing relationship with Jesus, whose very name means salvation. And so what does it mean to be walking out life with salvation himself uh, as we're, we're going through this world that is ruled often by darkness? Mm-hmm. And our guest, uh, Dr. Randy Newman, is on our studio line. And Randy, I just want to say we're so glad you could join us today. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Yeah, I would love for you to remind our audience a little bit about your upbringing and your background. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I grew up in a Jewish home in suburbs of New York City. Um, uh, So I didn't hear a whole lot about Jesus growing up, other than my my dad using his name in some very irreverent ways. Um, I uh, took Judaism probably more seriously than the rest of my family. I would say we were mostly secular Jewish and only went to synagogue a few times a year. But after my bar mitzvah, when I was 13, I started taking things a lot more seriously. Uh, I think I started searching. Uh, met a group of Christians when I was in high school, and I was really attracted to how they knew God in this deep, personal, uh, meaningful way. Um, I, I didn't come to faith until my sophomore year in college and um, uh, started growing and then uh, joined the staff of Campus Crusade, where I served for many, many years. And I've always been kind of intrigued with how Judaism and Christianity really fit together inseparably and how Old and New Testaments fit together and how 
all of life is uh, uh, intertwined by God's hand and is connected to the gospel. It's not a separate compartment. Mm-hmm. When you were in high school and a friend invited you to a Christian youth group, uh, there was a good. It was a good thing that there were cute girls involved. <laughs> is that fair? <laughs> well. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, that, well, that's what he—that's what he told me. That was the reason why he, he thought I would like it, and and he was right. And so, um, you know, I I went because uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, yes, the girls were cute, and socially, it was really a lot of fun. Um, but pretty quickly on, it was—I I also saw they—they they didn't leave the faith element, you know, outside. It was all, all woven in. And again, like I said, I, I just was so amazed about how people talked about knowing God in this very real, personal way. They, they, they prayed about everything. They prayed in English. It wasn't just ritual for them. It was, it was reality. It sounded relational, didn't it? Uh-huh, yeah. Um, and and that, was, that was the way they, ter- they termed it, too. They were talking about having a personal relationship with God. And, but again, they, they didn't just talk about it. They, they really exemplified it, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, and Randy, that that was a different maybe than some of the rules-based uh, ideas of religion and faith that you were living in at the time. I, you tell a pretty great story about uh, Yom Kippur on a day when you were finally going to get all of the rules right. Mm-hmm. Except for the leather shoes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, you, you guys know my story better than I do. <laughs> oh, we do. Uh, we do. You're not telling it very well, by the way. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm sorry. I, well, I, <laughs> all right, let me, let me rewind that. And... Uh, yeah, it was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the, the most holy day of the year, when uh, three years after my bar mitzvah, when I thought, okay, I, I just need to get this right. I need to, I, I, enough with just ritual. I, I've got to do whatever it takes in order to get to know God in this personal way. And so on Yom Kippur, I, I fasted, which is part of the ritual. Uh, I didn't drive in the car to synagogue. I walked, which was pretty far said all the prayers, I recited all of the uh, hymns, I uh, confessed all the sins in English and in Hebrew, uh, <laughs> and it didn't work. I, as I was walking home, I just thought, ah, it just didn't work. It, it feels like I, I'm no closer to God than I was 24 hours ago. And then, as you just said, I, I, re, I remembered as I was walking, I looked down at my shoes, I was wearing leather shoes, and I remembered that back in Hebrew school, back when I was preparing for my bar mitzvah, they taught on Yom Kippur, you're not allowed to wear leather shoes. And uh, that's not in the Bible, by the way. Uh, that is rabbinic tradition. But I remember, uh, almost like you know, a split second apart, on one hand, I was like, oh, that's what I did wrong. I've got to remember to do that the right way next year. And then I thought, that's the stupidest thing in the world. You've got to be kidding me. I mean, if, if, if that's what it means to know God, I'm, I'm not so sure I want to get to know this kind of a God. Um, and so I, I, I didn't really pray, but it had the same effect of a prayer of... Uh, saying, God, there's got to be some other way. And as I look back at it now, I think that that friend inviting me to that church youth group was the answer to that uh, prayer. And that began a a lengthy process, three and a half or four years of wrestling and thinking and reading. Um, So... um, uh, I, I'm willing to share more if you think I need to. I wasn't quite sure how much more you want me to go. No, I, lo- I love that. It just gives our listeners a little bit of a chance to get to know you a little bit, which is great. And um, when I was watching you talk about uh, salvation on a video on, on the Internet, you had said something that really s- struck me is, is that we don't understand how sinful we are. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, um, we tend to underplay or underestimate how bad our sin is. And, and then as a result, we tend to underappreciate how good the gospel is. So if, if sin is, you know, just sort of missing the mark or just messing up occasionally, well, then we, we may not fully grasp that our sin needs something as extreme as the death of the Son of God. Now, we may acknowledge it, you know, with words, but if it's just a few slip-ups, well, then you have to kind of say, well, isn't this kind of ridiculous of God to go to such great lengths to satisfy sin if it all it was was just a few little minor things? And so, um, um, but, but so the more we realize how bad the problem was, the more we'll realize how wonderful the solution is. And I think in that video that you were watching, or a passage that I frequently am drawn to, is in Titus chapter 3, where Paul spells out the gospel. And he's writing to Titus, and he says, and he goes really quite at length. At one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions. But God, when he was rich in mercy, uh, saved us and delivered us. And I, I think the thing that struck me was Paul was writing this to Timothy, who was a, a mature Christian man, a, a leader, a pastor. He already knew this stuff. So, so why was Paul telling Titus something that Titus already knew really quite well? Um, well, because we all need to keep hearing it over and over again and appreciate it in a deeper way, no matter how long we've been a Christian. Um, we never fully grasp just how amazing the riches of God's salvation is, and uh, and we can grow in that if we realize just how very, very bad our rebellion against God was in the first place. That's such an important point, because uh, most of us walk around thinking we're okay people. And that, come on, I can't be that bad, right? Yeah. And there's several mainline denominations that kind of get you to understand or think or feel that if your good deeds outweigh your bad, you should do okay mm-hmm. in the afterlife. Well, if if the sin isn't all that bad, well, then, yeah, getting the good to outweigh the bad uh, can kind of solve the problem. Um, but, it, but, if, but if sin is really rebellion against God, um, dethroning God, um, telling God to get lost, that we don't need him, that we don't want him, t- telling the very one who created us and gives every single breath to us, uh, I'm okay. I'm, I'm all right. You can leave me alone. Um, there, there, there has to be a certain sense of horror about yes. our telling God to get lost. Um, uh, otherwise, the cross seems absurd or ridiculous. All right. I'm going to take a little break. Uh, we're with Dr. Randy Newman, and we are in our series on salvation with Dr. Peter Kapsner, and we are loving this series. I know you are, too. Thanks for being with us. We'll take a short break, and we will be right back. the show. So glad to have Dr. Randy Newman as our guest this week on our Salvation Series. Dr. Peter Kapsner, 
and myself are loving our discussion with Randy. And I think, uh, Peter, you've got some questions to dig into what he was talking about right before the break about that passage in Titus. Yeah, no, Randy, I was listening to some of that, too, when you when you were given the exposition on it. And, and the passage for the listeners, too, if they haven't heard it, and frankly, it was one I was not as familiar with, maybe with other passages that speak of salvation, but it says... Uh, Randy, as you know, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And he goes on from there. But one of the things that I'm compelled by here, Randy, is you were talking in the previous segment about how awful sin really is and living in these places where it even says we're enslaved to something that is talking about a present way of life that we're living, and then salvation somehow comes in in the midst of that present way of life. So I'd be curious sort of your thoughts on when you, when you see the word saved in this, uh, in this passage of Scripture in Titus, where does your mind go with that? What, what do you think about what we're being saved from, being enslaved to these things? Are we being saved from something else? Like, how do you interpret this passage? Well, um, I, I, I think we need to reflect deeply and look in as many different possible directions as possible. So um, it is that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We, we are in the process right now of being saved so that we're not enslaved to sin, and then ultimately one day we will be saved from the very presence of sin, will be brought into the presence of God. Um, so that's sort of like looking at it maybe chronologically. Um, but then we need to look at it sort of in a, in a number of different um, ways. Well, think about, think about what saved means. Um, if, if we didn't get saved, we were going to be destroyed. Um, if, if we didn't get uh, saved means spared from disaster. Um, I, I, one of the, the most common images people get, I think, is, you know, uh, being uh, saved by a lifeguard from drowning. Well, so just think about it. If, if you don't get saved by the lifeguard, you're going to drown. You're going to die. You're going to sink to the bottom of the ocean. You're going to be dead. Um, the, the fact that the Bible uses such extreme language means that we, we need to reflect on it and, and allow the depth of it, the different qualities of it. I mean, so sometimes we can reflect on, all right, so where, where am I saved in, just in the way I think about myself, my own personal self-image, for example. I'm, I'm saved from self-incrimination. Uh, how am I saved in relationship? Well, if, if, if I didn't get saved, my, my marriage, my, my relationships would be destroyed by my own selfishness and my own hedonism. And then you, just, you keep going on and on. You know, you think about there's so many different places in the New Testament where we're told to reflect deeply about all that we have in Christ. Uh, you think about those two prayers in Ephesians. There's one in, in chapter 1, there's one in chapter 3. They're both similar prayers, and it's Paul praying that the Ephesians would have the eyes of their heart enlightened so that they would see the riches of uh, God's inheritance. And um, in chapter 3, Three, the prayer is that you'd be able to grasp the height and breadth and length and depth of the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. <laughs> I love the fact that he said that you would know something that is beyond knowledge. <laughs> and, and so we're supposed to, our whole entire Christian lives is a deeper and deeper, more and more reflecting on 
all that is already true about us, but is not necessarily experienced by us. And so th- that's encouraging to me that, okay, I'm, I'm going to be working on this my whole life. I'm going to be reflecting and, and asking God to help me see more and more and more. The fact that we're told this so many times must mean that it doesn't come naturally. It, do- it doesn't just happen you know, instantaneously. It's like an ongoing growth and development of seeing more and more and more and more of just how wonderful this salvation is. And so when we think about salvation on that level, Randy, is it fair to apply it to some of the, ple- the, the present troubles and maybe sinful patterns? I just I think about the listener who maybe at a youth group like you did or in another place has given their life to Jesus and authentically so, but then they wonder, why am I still struggling with X or Y or Z or AA? You pick, you know, fill in the blank. Why do I still have these struggles? Uh, and, and even going back a little bit to some of your rules-based faith maybe that you grew up with, I think at some point in time that we can sort of almost exchange our salvation by now I've got to try really hard to live by a set of rules, right? As opposed to there's actually still a power at work in us that continues to save us from these ways of life. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it, it is something about how that passage in Titus keeps going, um, talking about all of this, uh, God poured out on us his Holy Spirit. And then, and then in verse 7, it's so that having been justified by his grace, that's already been done, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So there's, there is this ongoing process of becoming heirs, becoming renewed and changed people. Um, I, I, I do empathize with the people who struggle with, uh, you know, like, why am I still not uh, further along and why do I still struggle because that's me too, um, and and it's easy to get uh, you know impatient or exasperated. Um, why do I still keep coming back to the same thing over and over? Um, but uh, we we make the process we make the problem worse for ourselves when we build in this expectation that instantaneously I'm going to be just great and perfect and not have any more struggles. And there are a lot of um, schools of sanctification that I think promise more than what the Bible uh, presents. So I know, I know that was the case for me early on as a Christian. I, I think I was immersed in teaching that seemed to imply that it was, it was much more automatic or much more easy, or you just needed to remember to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, and presto changeo, you no longer struggled with anger or lust or whatever. And I, I, I just, um, after a while, I started studying the scriptures a little more diligently, and I, I just don't think that's the picture we get. I think it's more of this ongoing, it is a struggle, but it's it's an ongoing um, uh, improvement of, of God's work in us. How do you counsel somebody to say, look, there, there's a power available to help me do this work, that Jesus doesn't just save us to get into heaven when we die, but what does it look like to walk closely with Jesus then in the midst of this kind of stuff when you are in these struggles? I can think of times in my life that I'm like, why am I still doing this five years down the road? And then freedom does come, and it is really this salvific moment when that freedom comes. But how do you counsel people to sort of walk with Jesus in the midst of this? Mm. You didn't warn me that we were going to go. Wow, this is like how how long is this show today? Is it it's an hour. hour one. Yeah, I, I wrote uh, that question and had Peter read it. So, <laughs> mm, well, just so you know. Uh, well, that's very good to know. Thank and, you. And, and, Thank and you. I'm struggling now with the anger that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> um, well, let's see. Um, 
there's things that we do kind of like right in the midst of the crisis of temptation. And then there's also things that we do uh, to prepare for those moments when, when, when we're not currently in those moments. So it does remind me of um, athletes who train. Um, you know, they work out in the gym and they lift weights and they do certain kind of exercises. Um, uh, just for my illustration, would, would, uh, I, I think of uh, a baseball player, so a shortstop. And he does all sorts of different drills and practices or whatever, and then he goes out on the field, and for a fair amount of time he might just be standing there. But then when the ball is hit to him, he better react quickly and he better respond. And the likelihood of him being able to catch the ball and throw it to first and get the guy out is based on hours and hours and hours of practice and diligent exercise. So I think some of us um, only emphasize that, well, how do, how do I handle this when the temptation comes my way? Well, we need to know some techniques of being able to say no and to, and to turn away and to ask for help and to uh, pray and ask God to fill us with his spirit and ask God to give us a, spa, uh, a power of self-control and all of those kind of things. But we're much more likely to have success in those moments if we've spent a lot of time digging into the scriptures, praying, uh, reflecting on who we are in Christ, like those prayers in Ephesians 1 and 3, asking God to have our minds renewed. Uh, it's an ongoing, lifelong process so that we start thinking differently about everything, but particularly about that particular temptation, so that when it comes, we're more likely to think the things that we need to think in that moment rather than the things that we used to think in those moments. And um, so there's a tremendous amount of discipleship and spiritual formation that's not earning your way to God or trying to please God, but they are the responses to what God has done and has begun to do in us. Um, easier said than done, but I mean, that's what I think the process of discipleship is all about, and that's why it's so very, very crucial for us to be involved in, in church, in a, in a body of Christ, in a, in a community where, okay, there are other people who struggle with this, and they could pray for me, and there are other people who have seen some level of victory, victory and I could learn from them. And uh, it's never an individual thing just on our own. We are in our series of salvation, and Dr. Randy Newman is our guest in the hot seat today. So we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back with lots more. the show we are once again in our series on salvation where we buy in bulk so we can pass the savings on to you we're uh, in week two of a six-week series on salvation and we decided dr peter kapsner and myself that we would we would uh, 
experts to come on and talk. And today we have Dr. Randy Newman, and he's a senior teaching fellow for apologetics and evangelism at the C.S. Lewis Institute. He's got a whole string of credits, a whole bunch of books that he's written. He's been a guest on the show before, but we want to hear more about uh, his understanding and of salvation. And he came from a Jewish family. So, Randy, in your in one of your testimonies I saw on the internet, you you just really um, did a beautiful job, and and you talked about your mother at the end, and it 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 just tears I just had well up in my eyes when you told me what your mother said to you. And I'm thinking about sharing Jesus with other Jewish people. What is that like? Uh, uh, you're obviously referring to a very specific thing she said to me, and I'm blanking out. Which 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 thing? My well, mother has said a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she continues it, to, yeah, believe it, me. It was clean your room and <laughs> eat with your mouth closed. <laughs> and then also you had sent her a book, and she said, uh, like five months later, she said, so what am I going to tell my friends when I tell them I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus? Mm. Uh, okay, and that yeah. was the first time you had really heard your mother declare that she was a believer in Jesus. Mm. Yeah. It's a yeah, beautiful yeah. moment. Oh, it was. It was. And, and, and um, I'm, I'm standing in my uh, uh, basement in the spot very close to where I was standing when she told me that. So I remember the exact spot where I was standing. <laughs> Um, well, you know, I had I had certainly been trying to witness to my parents for many, many years, and nothing seemed to work. And uh, I even sent my mother a copy of, um, it's a really great book, Stan Telchin is the author, and the book is called Betrayed, and it's about a Jewish man who sent his, co- his daughter off to college, she became a Christian, and he felt betrayed, and so he set out to prove her wrong. But in the process, he became a believer, and it's it's one of my favorite books to give to Jewish people. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know if I told you this part of the story, but I, I, I sent my mother a copy of the book, and she read it, and she just she had really no kind of effect by it. She said it was interesting, which is a very bad word. Uh, <laughs> and and she gave it away to somebody else, and I, I, I was just furious, and you know, and it was years later that a friend of hers gave her the exact same book, and she had forgotten that I had given it to her, and she forgot that she had read it, and so now she read it a second, second time, although for her it seemed like it was only the first and she really liked it. I mean, she she sent me an email one time, asked if I'd ever heard of the book, <laughs> and and if I hadn't, I should read it. Uh, <laughs> very funny, Randy. Uh, so that was the book the Lord used to lead my mom to faith, and um, that was quite a while ago now. She's ninety-two. She came to faith when she was seventy-five. Wow. She's uh, still part of a congregation and goes to Bible studies on Zoom, and uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I forgot the question that started this. What was, well, the, what the, was the question was sharing Jesus as the Messiah to oh. other people in the Jewish community. Oh, see, now we really need 12 hours. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, well, um, more and more Gentile Christians need to start conversations with Jewish people. And uh, I, I want to say, you know, don't be afraid to. But, but it, I mean, it's really difficult. So I, I, I certainly would never say... You know, don't think it's going to be easy, but um, the Jewish people may be more, far more open than you would expect, and um, they, they may also not be anywhere near as Jewish as you would expect them to be. There are a whole lot of people today who are, are Jewish in name only or Jewish culturally, but not necessarily religiously. So I think it's worth starting the conversation and trying to to explore how Judaism and Christianity fit together and how... Um, how very Jewish the the Christian message really is. 
the devil has done a really marvelous job of splitting these two apart so that there are a whole lot of Christians who don't even know about their Jewish roots, and they don't, even, they don't read the Old Testament, and there are even Christian pastors who say we shouldn't read the Old Testament. Don't get me started on that. Um, <laughs> and then there are uh, – and then there's um, a whole lot of Jewish people who don't really think about what, what do their scriptures predict about a Messiah and a Messianic age? There are a lot of misconceptions and just, just lack of information. So the, the – I'm always wanting and praying that uh, Jewish people will consider how Jesus fulfilled um, the the Hebrew Scriptures, and I'm praying and hoping for more and more Christians to think about how the Old Testament fits together with and paves and 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 holds similarity to the New Testament. Are there, and are there notions within Judaism, Randy, about like the word salvation? I think about how salvation is actually used all throughout the Old Testament, but in your growing up in a Jewish household, was the word salvation ever really even used? And if it was used, how might it have been understood? Um, no, it's not, it's not used very much at all, and it's not really thought about a great deal, even though it is a rather big deal in the Scriptures. Isn't that, isn't that tragic? Hmm. Um, in fact, I, I was once part of a that was a panel discussion. There were three Christians on one side and three Jewish rabbis on the other side, and there's supposed to be a, an evening of dialogue about how the two fit together. And one of the rabbis said, uh, you know, you Christians keep talking about salvation. Judaism has no room whatsoever for the concept of salvation. And I, I, I almost broke out in hives. I mean, I, just, I, I was like, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. And I tried to raise my hand or whatever, but it was toward the end of the evening, and I never got to say anything. And I, I thought, has no concept for for salvation. Uh, it's all over the place. The whole the story of the, of Passover is about salvation. The, Isaiah's name means the Lord. He is my salva- my savior. I, it's, uh, anyway, so um, I think the hives are beginning to settle down. But so no, the to- the concept is not really talked about a whole lot, other than that someday in the distant future, when the Messiah comes, he'll make all things right. The lion will lay down with the lamb, neither will they train for war anymore. And so, you know, the the Christian understanding of what is the second coming is what most Jewish people have in mind for a messianic age. But it's But it's all in the future, whereas the Christian view is uh, the Messiah has come, and he is coming again, and we live in between the two comings, when this process of the world's salvation has begun, but only manifesting itself in individual people, and then one day, ultimately, those other messianic prophecies will be fulfilled. Whew, man, that's that's like such a big topic. Can, can I be like really obnoxious and, and make an advertisement of... You've, I, you've I, come to the I, right place. <laughs> uh, I, I, I did write a book on how to witness to Jewish people. I was, I was delighted to be part of this series that the Good Book Company did on engaging with. And so I wrote the volume uh, Engaging with Jewish People. But there's, there's a volume on engaging with Muslims, engaging with Hindus, engaging with atheists. Uh, it's a very good series, different writers, and uh, I, I, I go into some of these very things we've been talking about in that book. It's a kind of short book, so uh, for people who are looking for something less than 150 pages, uh, okay, end of commercial. I'll stop that. No, I love it. What is what is the name of the book? Engaging with Jewish People. Engaging with Jewish People. I just want to make sure right. we repeat that a couple of times so people can jump on uh, online and get get a copy. 
Yeah, and I really mean it. That whole series was was, and it's growing. They're adding more and more to it, and all of the books have the same subtitle: um, understanding their world, sharing good news. And so, if you're if you're wanting to know how to witness to Muslims, that's a very good book in you know in that series. And again, Hindus and atheists and. And Rand, yeah, I would love for you to, to even say a little bit more about what you just said around the idea of sort of this twofold thing of salvation, the, the now and not yet part of it. And I was just doing a little search of, for the word salvation in the Old Testament here, too. And, and one of them actually referenced Hebrews 11 in the New Testament. In looking at the life of Noah, it says that by faith, Noah, having been divinely instructed concerning the things not yet seen, having been moved with fear, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. And so at least in this context, the word salvation for Noah and for his family was something that was happening in his present time and in space. There was some sort of deliverance or rescuing from something in in that moment. Uh, And so there is sort of this now reality, but it's also a not yet kind of thing too. I think the majority, well, I shouldn't say that, but a whole lot of references about salvation in the Old Testament are temporal in the here and now. So God saved the Jewish people out of slavery in Egypt and brought them through the Red Sea into the Promised Land. God saved Noah from the flood. Uh, David talks about being saved or rescued from the hand of his enemies. Uh, and, and on and on and we could go. You know, God is Savior in this sense right now of delivering us from troubles and trials and difficulties, diseases, um, and temptations. And so so we experience a kind of salvation when we're in the midst of a temptation and God provides um, the way of escape for us. Um, you know, those are all varieties of salvation. Um, there's one thing I've been wanting to say for a while, if I can jump in now. It is intriguing to me, so very, very uh, beautiful. In the New Testament, there are there are so many different words for our salvation. Um, salvation is one of them, but but um, forgiveness, propitiation, justification, redemption, reconciliation, eternal life. I mean, just think of all these different words, and they're they're different facets of the beautiful diamond of our salvation. But I mean, just think of just just compare in your mind the the difference between redemption and reconciliation. Just just picking two almost at random. So redemption is getting. Um, bought out of a kind of slavery and brought into uh, a place where you can actually have the purpose for which you were created. You're set free for the purpose of fulfilling the purpose you were created for. Um, Reconciliation is a picture of two parties that once were close, but then they became alienated, and now they're brought back together again. And so just sometimes just reflecting on I've been reconciled to the God that I rebelled uh, against and ran away. I'm, I'm the younger brother who, who took off and squandered everything, and now I'm coming back. And the father comes and runs after me, and I'm reconciled. It's beautiful. Um, but I'm also redeemed, and may, maybe the picture of the older brother. You know, he's just whining and griping and sitting outside. You know, you never threw a party for me. And um, But God saves the older brother, too, and redeems him so that he can be the son he was always meant to be. And I I just think the more we spend time reflecting 
intellectually but also emotionally. Put yourself in that place. What, is, what does that feel like to be in those settings and to experience redemption or reconciliation or salvation or eternal life? Um, I, I think that what happens is uh, we start having this sort of this groundswell of worship within us, and I think it does make a difference then with how we uh, talk to other people about it. Yeah, and that, that was actually going to be my ne- ne- next question too. When you talk about sharing the faith, Randy, like what what are you inviting them into? You just used all these different words for the word salvation, all of which feels very invitational. But how would you share the good news with somebody? W- what is this good news that salvation is possible and available for you? When I was fairly new at this and in young in campus ministry, the, the emphasis for me was a lot on uh, sort of proving that the gospel was true, um, that it really did happen. Jesus really did rise from the dead. Here's evidence. The Bible really is God's word. Here's archaeological uh, findings. And, and all of that is very, very important. So I, I don't want to downplay that, and I, and I, hope, I hope it hasn't sounded that way. That, that's very, absolutely crucial. But we need to convey not only that the gospel is true, but also that it's good. And I find that more, I'm trying to have more and more of my conversations with people trying to talk about, well, what, wouldn't it be great if, if the things that we're the most ashamed of could be taken away from us? Or wouldn't it be great if the things that we feel the most guilty of we could be forgiven of? Um, so, so to try to, you know, kind of tell people, you know, I, I think it's really good that um, I, I, I have a clear conscience about things, not, not because I'm perfect or anywhere near close it, but God has already paid the price for my sin because of what Jesus did and because I, I trust in Jesus. And, and to, um, I, I'm trying to, to sort of fit into that pattern of the way Jesus talked to the woman at the well. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if there was water, that if you drank it, you'd never be thirsty again? <laughs> doesn't, that, doesn't that sound great? Um, as opposed to, well, not not opposed, but it's also in addition to the way he talked to Nicodemus in the chapter before, in John chapter 3, which was much more of, it's true, you need to believe this, you need to be born again, um, you know, you, you you can't just be born once. I mean, that that was much more logical or theological, and again, that's very important too. So it 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 depends on who you're talking to. You know, I'm... I, Lately, I've been having this ongoing conversation with this uh, friend of mine who uh, he's a university professor, and so it's very intellectual. We get into all, you know, we talk about words and what Greek and Hebrew words mean and uh, what people have thought about this throughout history, and it's it very, very intellectual. And uh, I, I think it's going well, and I think he's he's benefiting from hearing some of this, but I wouldn't try to have those arguments with some other people that I know who, that for them, it's much more of, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if there was water that never left you thirsty? Or, I mean, the, when you drank it, you, you never got thirsty again. Dr. Randy Newman is our distinguished and yet non-compensated guest on the program today. <laughs> we are in our series on salvation, and we are loving it. Dr. Peter Kapscher and myself, we'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Randy Newman is our guest in our series on salvation. We are enjoying it tremendously. Learn, I, I'm learning a lot, Peter, but I learn a lot every time I come on the show. That's, <laughs> that's why I show up for work every day. 
it is the best part of the job, isn't it? I mean, it is. just the people and and I, I mean, Randy's background. Of it's amazing. Just, yeah, having the both the, the Judeo-Christian both both dimensions of it. It's amazing. Yeah. Randy, when you have discussions with people that are sort of feeling that they don't know if they're going to be if their eternity is secure and they go back and forth. It's one thing we hear at the station quite a bit is people are wondering if they could lose their salvation. If, uh, if God is still, if God still cares about them and is still fully invested in their, in their life, or have I fallen out of favor with him? Well, again, I think, um, by the way, when, 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 when people do express that, I, I would hope that we, would try to be very compassionate because, I mean, because that's, that's a really terrible uh, place to be, to question whether you did something to, to lose or forfeit salvation. And so uh, sometimes this question is addressed and it, it can come across as kind of cold hearted of, well, no, how could that be? Look at this verse. Look at this verse. Come on, you know, come on, get with it. Um, <laughs> so I, I think the starting point is to listen and find out what is it that has prompted um, this particular crisis of faith or questioning. But then we, we want to go back to the very um, unmerited nature of salvation. There, there's nothing that we did to earn this salvation. It was, it was granted to us as a gift, as a, as a free gift. Um, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We, we never earned it in the first place, and so we can't earn keeping it. We can't earn uh, uh, maintaining it. Um, so I, I would want to try to look at the passages where Jesus says things like, no one can snatch them out of my hand, out of my Father's hand. And, and I would want to ask somebody, now, now why did he say that? What, what, what would make him say that? Uh, rather than just quote it and say, now, there, memorize it and just, you know, don't question it. Um, but rather to dig into it and say, now, what, now what, was it, what prompted Jesus to say such a, a great and wonderful promise? And by the way, the, the, the fact that he even articulated means people are probably going to struggle with this. Um, it's not surprising if people uh, uh, wrestle with this. I, I think sin is so ugly that when we're convicted of it, we can feel so horrible that we think, oh, okay, now, now I've crossed the line. And now that's, you know, because it's so bad, because it is bad. And, and so I think going back to something we were talking about earlier with that and sin being bad, I think that is the struggle many people do go into. And, and does it, it's, it's sort of set up, what are your expectations when you say yes to Jesus, right? You mean that the disciples all said yes when Jesus said, come and follow me. They were converted in that way. And yet they were disasters for a very long time. In fact, for the better part of their life, they continued to struggle with things. And is, is there something in this, Randy, that uh, to be able to reassure people and say, hey, look, if you say yes to following Jesus and giving your life over, it doesn't mean all of these patterns are just going to disappear, you know, presto change like you had said earlier, but that there is now uh, available to you a, a power in this world to continue to live uh, in, according to a different set of, of ways of life. It's, isn't it um, uh, encouraging in a backhanded kind of way that in Galatians 2, Paul rebukes Peter because he's not living in line with the truth of the gospel? Um, Peter, <laughs> Peter, <laughs> Peter, who, 
who preached that great sermon and 3,000 people came to believe. <laughs> Peter, who, Peter, he's like, I mean, he's a leader, you know, he's, he's like a big guy. He's, he, he wrote books of the Bible, and, uh, and yet he blew it, um, and he lost sight of it. Um, or, or, or just take the scope out just a little bit further of how, how is it that the book of Galatians even made it into the Bible? Why, why do we have a book written to stupid people? Because, I mean, you, 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 you foolish Galatians. Okay, so stupid might have been a little strong. Okay, but, but, okay who has bewitched you, Paul? Is a, and, you know, I, I think the first several times I read that as a new believer, I think, yeah, these people are foolish. How, how, how can you lose sight of the gospel? I mean, come on. Like, really? You're going back under the law? That's, like, ridiculous. Well, then, then you you live the Christian life for a little while, and you go, oh, oh wait a minute, they're, well, yeah, they are foolish, but I understand it because that's me. Um, and so there, I, I just think that there's something, the reality of living in this fleshly body, in this um, sin-obsessed world, means there's going to be uh, a struggle and, and difficulties. And so... You just think of how much of the New Testament is written to people to help them deal with the struggle. And if if it was an easy struggle and all you needed was just like a little, uh, I think now I'm repeating myself, but if it was just kind of a quick little decision, we wouldn't have needed the whole the whole New Testament as as much as we have. You know, Randy, we talked a lot about the present part of it, but there is this future coming that, and, and I would love for you to just sort of articulate to the best of your ability, what, what is the future of salvation look like when Jesus does come and fully restore everything? What, what kind of life are we going to be living in the, in the full restoration of this? You guys got to give me more prep time. With it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, need, I need several weeks of prep. Uh, well, well, you know, it's, it's a pretty good question. I mean, Dr. Peter Kapsner, he's a podiatrist. He's not even a theologian. That's <laughs> the part that I find I so interesting. Room, right. <laughs> he just walked in the room, too. So it's all good. Uh, well, think about how many um, pictures are painted in the book of Revelation. Um, I, I think people people think the book of Revelation is this time chart of an explanation of all these predictions that are going to happen. And then you read it, and you find, well, yeah, there, there are those kind of things. But far more, there are these lofty pictures and praises and worship. And so, um, and, and there are pictures about um, God is going to take away every tear and every uh, pain and every disease. And it's going to be a time of, of unhindered, undistracted worship. Um, and uh, growing for all eternity in wonder and amazement. And so um, however much we will experience that here on earth, should we be on the earth when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom on earth? I I don't know exactly how all that that fits, but, um, but that will be a foretaste of what we'll be experiencing in heaven. Um, and, and in fact, we, we, we do get some even foretaste even before that right here and now at times of worship or times when uh, we're reading the scriptures and we really get this sense that God has, has uh, opened up our eyes to be able to see it and understand it on a, on a deeper and greater uh, level. So, um, uh, so I, I think, you know, all of the longings that we have will be fulfilled then uh, without any um, disappointment or any uh, asterisk added to it of, well, but not really. 
Um, it, it's the fullest sense, and it just keeps growing and growing. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about uh, further up and further in. Uh, it just keeps growing in 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 length and and uh, expanse. You know, for giving you very little advance warning, Randy, you uh, you just crushed it today. Amazing. Thank Amazing. you. Yeah, Thank truly. you so much for uh, being willing to come on the program, having no idea what you were going to be up against. So <laughs> that means a lot to, to us. So, for sure. Yeah, and you've uh, made this a great hour. So thank you so much. Oh, my, my pleasure. What a great hour. Boy, Peter, I learned a lot, and thank you so much for your amazing contributions. I'm excited about what we did today with Dr. Randy Newman. And can I just be honest? I'm looking forward to next week. Oh, me too. And boy, Randy did not disappoint today. There was a lot of takeaways from that. I just, I'm still kind of sitting with this idea of, I can't remember how he said it, but a multifaceted gem that is salvation. And then he rattled off all of these beautiful scriptural words that, that describe one dimension of it. It just makes me want to dig in that much more. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening and uh, supporting Faith Radio. Please let us know if you've got any comments. You can always text a comment or question. As we continue in our series on salvation, you can send it over to 877-933-2484. That wraps up our show for the day. Have a great night. God bless, and I'll see you tomorrow.